I think it was in, in April or May of this year, that's when crypto crashed, right? What happened was is that there's a slight crack in the financials and also it crashes. And then what ends up happening is after crypto prices go down dramatically, then all of a sudden you see fraud come out because you see people like Three Arrows Capital or Celsius Network or others that are doing things that are that really are flying by the seat of their pants. And then once there's a little bit of a crack in the market, explodes in their face. This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast, brought to you by Goldrock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast, and my name is Darren Rockman, and I'm a partner at Goldrock Capital, the 22-year-old multifamily office servicing high net worth families in Israel and around the world. And this is a special edition of Definitely Uncertain, because my guest on this week's podcast is my friend, partner, and a sometime host of this podcast, David Ram. Hi, David. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, it's been very hard to pin David down, but definitely be worth it. So uh, the reason we're doing the podcast in this format is that there's been some really big news in the last week, and we wanted to get on top of it. That news relates to the world of crypto. And um, we were looking for a crypto skeptic to speak on the podcast, and we realized that there was no greater crypto skeptic in the world than David Ramp. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. That's a, quite a compliment. And I would, as a person who's a libertarian as well, and a crypto skeptic at the same time, it's an unusual combination. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a crazy time in crypto uh, because of the events of FTX. Basically, just to recap what happened more or less, FTX is a venture-backed company founded in 2019 by a pretty now famous person na named Sam Bankman-Fried, BF for short, who lives in the Bahamas in a $40 million penthouse with nine other people who all work for the company. And he was backed by such groups as Sequoia, Lightspeed, Tiger, SoftBank, and a number of other top tier venture capital risk takers the in the world. Best of the best. And he had the longest, I think, Super Bowl commercial <laughs> in American history this past this past game. He's there, he's he sponsored the Miami basketball arena. It's an FTX arena. So they're front and center, even only three years in. And it all blew up on the back of the fact that the currency FTT, the cryptocurrency, their coin was shorted dramatically by other exchanges. And then there was a run on the bank, so to speak, at FTX, and they couldn't meet their obligations. That's okay, basically so what happened. So let's say, what was FTX? What was this business? What were they yeah. doing? FTX's E-Trade is Fidelity, Schwab, or anything like that, like a brokerage account, essentially, specifically for digital assets. So people would open up an account, and they would be able to buy and sell digital assets. Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, NFTs, whatever it was. Exactly. And it was all active, so there's no, there no cold wallet available, so it was all an active exchange platform. And people were able to buy and sell. That was, the, that was essentially the idea. And people opened so, up accounts so there and owned and held Bitcoin. Okay, so effectively, you, you, you have a number of choices if you want to uh, buy uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or what have you. One of them is that you create your own wallet, and then you've got to get, you know, you have to make sure you maintain your key and all this. Or 
open up a, a, an exchange like Binance or FTX and then effectively hold your assets there. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So Binance is the primary competitor, but exactly. So it's an exchange as opposed to a cold wallet. Exactly. Okay. And now what's happened is that FTX has been put into bankruptcy and Sam, the man, is gone from hero to less than zero in the blink of an eye. Yeah, it's quite an astounding event. First of all, about $150 billion of crypto assets were lost value, $150 billion of value lost in about a day. And on top of that, as of we as we know now, because we don't have all the facts yet, but as of now, there seems to be something in the neighborhood of $8 billion in value of creditors, about 50 creditors that are owed money by FTX. And on top of that, another three years in those brokerage accounts, essentially, that have been not fulfilled because everyone ran at the bank. They were trying to withdraw the money. Some people did, many didn't. And the ones that have not received their money back yet is about $3 billion. Yeah, and questionable whether or not they're actually going to manage to get there, the, the, those funds out of it. It seems like they will not. <laughs> okay. But I want to just point out, it's also important to point out like what, what exactly happened. So what seemed to have happened, and this is a bit on the alleged side of the, of the ledger, but basically Sam Bankman-Fried also owned separately another company called Alameda. And Alameda was actually founded a few years prior to FTX. And Alameda is essentially a hedge fund for all intents and purposes. It's a quantitative trading strategy. And it's it was built on the back of an arbitrage where you could buy in exchange A and sell the exact same asset in exchange B, and there would be a very large spread. So you could buy Bitcoin for $10,000 in one exchange, sell it for $11,000 in another exchange. That was the premise so of that, That's uh, how Alameda was making its money. That, that's that how Alameda made its money. Arbitraging different exchanges with the same asset. And in the old days, when they started in 20, 2017, you could literally do 10, 20% spreads between one exchange to the other at the same time. It was crazy. And what happened was, is as more and more capital entered the cryptocurrency market, Bitcoin in particular, and Ethereum as well, that those spreads started to tighten because more and more transactions were happening. And in order for you to make real money in an arbitrage like that, what do you do? You leverage. You leverage. That's what you do. So they were heavily levered quant strategy on arbitrage in crypto. That's what Alamedia did. And it was managed by his his girlfriend, actually. Sometime alleged girlfriend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, Ken Ellison, I think her name was. And what happened was, this is the alleged part. What seemed to have happened is that FTX lent money in a fraudulent manner to Alamedia to cover the losses of Alamedia during the April, May, and June timeframe where crypto crashed during 2022. And so FTX lent billions of dollars in assets to Alamedia and Alamedia never recovered that money. And what seemed to have happened is people found out about it and started shorting or dumping FTT, the FTX token, and that collapsed Alamedia even more. And then there was a run on the bank at FTX. So it, this run on the bank kind of uncovered an alleged fraud by Sam Bankman-Fried. Okay, and particularly as these were effectively related parties, so that potentially creates an even greater problem because you, know, you do have situations whereby if you put your asset at E-Trade or Fidelity, they yeah. are able to lend that asset out. So as I was having a conversation with one of our clients um, the other day, you know, this is a standard Wall Street practice, but maybe the difference here was that firstly, I'm not clear whether or not the 
customers about text knew this, but even if they did, it was yeah. it was a related party. It was two companies owned by a banker freed um, in, in Goods. Yeah, and he was a majority of both. Okay, personally, a majority. So, yep. Okay, so this is you know you know front page on the Wall Street Journal. This has become a massive story globally. And this is the second, maybe not the second, but this is the, the, perhaps this year, the second major shock to the world of cryptocurrencies. First, you had earlier in the year, a massive fall in the value of Bitcoin, which was, had been 60,000 plus, is now in the sort of 15, 20,000 range. So there was 75% plus drop in the value of the main currency or cryptocurrency that people have been tracking. And then this, a, a massive fraud, which is not the first fraud in, in, in the world. That's correct. There have been quite a number of them, but this is certainly the largest and the most impressive. Um, what does that mean for the world of crypto going forward? The idea here was that you could create currency without government, and that currency could be stable, it could be a medium of exchange, it could be a store of value, all the things that we attribute to currencies. Does this change people's views of what crypto is and what it can be? Yeah, it's a great question because obviously this is not the first fraud, as you pointed out. And it seems that whenever there's a slight crack in financials, in the financial system, for example, the Fed raised rates by 50 basis points, I think it was in, in April or May of this year, that's when crypto crashed, right? What happened was, is that there's a slight crack in the financials and all of a sudden it crashes. And then what ends up happening is after crypto prices go down dramatically, then all of a sudden you see fraud come out because you see people like Three Arrows Capital or Celsius Network or others that are doing things that are that really are flying by the seat of their pants. And then once there's a little bit of a crack in the market, it explodes in their face. And that's what's happened a number of times. And I think that what's important about crypto today versus what it may be in the future is that crypto today is a speculative I don't even know why I call it an asset, but it's a speculative asset and it completely correlates with other dramatically speculative assets. The best example would be loss-making technology companies that are publicly traded perhaps because it's easier to track the valuation, publicly yeah. traded tech companies that are losing large amounts of money. Those companies track quite, quite tightly, quite tightly with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, of course, is the most healthy of all the cryptocurrencies. So to date, coins down eighty percent. Yeah. So good measurement of that would be actually an ETF company called Arc. So there's a thing called the Arc Innovation Fund. It's a great measurement if you look at the correlation between Arc Innovation and Coin. It's pretty strong. So that's the current situation. It's not a medium of exchange yet. Or value. So that so yeah so the argument is is it a store of value and how could you say it's a store of value when it drops eighty percent right. in one year alongside loss making tech it doesn't make any sense so what is it exactly today it's a speculative asset where people are trying to get rich that's really it and in the future maybe it will be a store of value maybe it will be a a, a commodity or be something used for a medium of exchange but as of right now definitely not and we could talk about the barriers to get there but I think right now. Anyone who's interested over the past decade or so, it's just the interest completely is related to, I want to buy it today because I think tomorrow I can sell it for more. That's it. No inherent value, just really momentum. Okay. That's it. What happens next? Okay. So, you know, we're, we're now going to move into, uh, for, for, from the, the history lesson into the prognostication business. There's always 
always dangerous because, uh, as we say here, life is definitely uncertain. <laughs> Where do we go? Is this idea of a non-government currency really workable? Does uh, coin survive as an asset? What are the paths forward? Yeah, this FTX event is not going to be helpful to a path forward towards a decentralized, disconnected currency uh, unrelated to any government. Because what does everyone scream the minute after a fraud happens? <laughs> Regulation. FDIC. Yeah, regulate me. Regulate it. And by the way, the first the person who was negotiating with the SEC was Sam Bankman-Free, by the way. Sure. But put that aside, that's what everyone's screaming. How could it possibly happen? How could this ha- possibly happen in a free country where we should have some level of control, some level of transparency and understanding what's going on? So they're all screaming now for regulation, and it will happen. So as regulate, and it's happening over the past few years as well, and it will continue to happen even stronger. And what regulation essentially does is it centralizes it, first of all, it centralizes control, and it increases cost. So the nature of free and decentralized and disconnected from government, in my personal opinion, this is my opinion now, I don't think it's going to happen, uh, at least in the Western world, because the regulation will be significant, especially after events like we've seen over the past 12 months or so. The one area that the argument has been, and perhaps it's a reasonable argument to say that a medium of exchange could happen more substantially is in emerging markets. So think about countries where their currency, the volatility or stability of the currency could be even worse than Bitcoin or worse than a a different coin. And in that context, one could argue that instead of using US dollars or bartering or whatever else, Bitcoin could in fact be a decent medium of exchange, which you want it disconnected from emerging countries that don't have any stability. So there is an argument to say that it could be a very good financial tool for those kinds of countries. But we're we're a while away. Okay. So that moves towards some form of national electronic currency rather than an independent electronic currency, which is what was effectively the idea behind Bitcoin and other cryptos. Yeah, exactly. Because the idea is that when you can validate that you own this Bitcoin through multiple ledgers to ensure that everyone knows it's yours. You don't need the US government or the European government to say it's your money. We know it through the blockchain. That is a very interesting technology and a very interesting way to validate your ownership of that currency. The question now is going to be how much control is the central government going to have over such currencies? And what we're seeing is we're going to have more and more strength and more and more control. And even it's interestingly, even like ETFs, which is a pretty benign example, I think. The SEC has been quite aggressively avoiding providing approvals for a US onshore ETF to enable people to buy and sell Bitcoin, for example. So the most common one, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which is not an ETF, we've actually had a CEO of that company as a guest on our podcast. Today, that trades at a 43% discount to to Bitcoin. So people who are selling their grace today are not selling at $16,000 of Bitcoin. They're selling at $9,000 of Bitcoin because they actually believe it's not worth $9,000 either. But that's really going to be a question mark about how much regulation is going to be there. So our view at Goldrock is when we provide advice to investors, the advice that we provide, we want to make sure is adding value to their broader portfolio. So we never really took the view that currency, Bitcoin or otherwise, or other cryptocurrencies 
provided any meaningful value to a broader portfolio. In fact, we could just tell them to go buy loss-making tech or buy more NASDAQ or levered NASDAQ, and the correlation would be similar, and the liquidity would be there, and the transparency would be there as well. So we never really found the value of adding Bitcoin to the portfolio. Moving forward, we'll see what happens, but we're still in the wait-and-see mode from our perspective at Goldrock to say, as of right now, correlation is extremely high. It's not a store value. It's not an active tra trading, an active, sorry, an active medium of exchange. So it doesn't really provide anything yeah. beyond speculation. And I think that's probably the, another way of making the same point, which is if, if we want to buy speculative assets, we have all types of speculative assets that we can buy. Um, right. And probably better to buy a speculative asset that's actually on its way to being a productive enterprise. So an early stage startup and doing that through a manager where you're going to be doing that in a diversified portfolio rather than hanging your hat on an asset where it's very hard to value and all, as, as we were saying before, is only really just a momentum play where people try to outbid each other on the way up and hopefully uh, not yeah. come the other way around. There is room for speculative assets at the margins within portfolios. Right. Bitcoin or very cryptocurrencies are not necessarily the very best expression of that. Yeah, it's, it's, it adds a lot more risk. Yeah, it adds a lot more risk. and doesn't add any real meaningful value. I do want to give a forecast, though, about an added re regulation that is not coming, that we don't see coming yet, but I'm going to guess. Okay, uh, here and, we go. So we're, we're going now from prognostication to prophecy. Okay, so we're going we're going up the deep end here, Dave. And the best thing about prophecy is that if I'm wrong, okay, I was crazy. But if I'm right, I'll be an absolute genius. So I find to be a very interesting phenomenon in the cryptocurrency space, which we're seeing in the venture capital market where venture capital funds or investors can invest in an early stage startup in exchange for that investment, instead of getting equity in a company, they can get a token that may relate to the underlying potential business of that startup. And what ends up happening is that token is now on exchanges like an FTX, for example, or like yeah. a Binance. And the early stage investors can now trade out of such relatively liquid, in a sense, relative to an early stage equity investment. It's relatively liquid because you can actually trade out of these things sometimes. And what ends up happening is that early stage investors can actually make quite a bit of money at very early stages without having any productivity whatsoever. But more importantly, in my opinion, is that the 19-year-old guy in his mom's basement with $10,000 account on Binance, he's the buyer of that token. Now, that guy can't invest legally in an early stage venture capital fund, in an early stage startup. He has to be a qualified investor like our clients are, for example, they can't just be a guy off the street investing in sophisticated concepts like early stage investing. But what, he, what can he do? He can buy off of a venture capital fund the token that the guy got in exchange for the money he did on an early stage deal, which is crazy to me. It's, which it's absolutely crazy. The guy in the basement, the 19-year-old, is effectively buying into a startup. At the worst, I mean, he's, he's the other side of the trade. Right. It's the worst. Exactly. He's taking that risk, which he can't do, but he's, we figured out a loophole to, for him to do that. And he's on the other side of the trade of the smart guys. So it's the worst hey, of both. Great, that's a great way to make money. What are you complaining yeah. about, Dave? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my guess is someone's going to figure that out because nobody is talking about this yet. And it's, it's going to, it's, it's just crazy. It's got to get shut down. Okay. All right. Well, uh, that I think was a tour de force of the uh, world of uh, crypto and some of the speed bumps that we've been hitting. And we, we don't view this as religion. We view this as investments. We're not wedded to any specific opinion. But at least for the moment, I think it's fair to say, Dave, that we remain very firmly in the skeptic camp. Absolutely. I'll say, I'll say one quick more thing about FTX as well, which is that 
We also sometimes have some exposure in the hedge fund space on an arbitrage or a market neutral approach, which may have some cryptocurrency exposure. It's very important for all the investors out there that are looking into that market. It's very important to understand who the prime brokers are, who the administrators are, who the auditors are, who the legal counsel is, et cetera, of those hedge funds, because a lot of times they're using funds like FTX, like Binance. So you thought you were doing a market neutral strategy in Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, and all of a sudden you get wiped out because you're on the wrong exchange. So it's very important to be cautious around how your investment platform is doing such investments because it's not, you may think you're not even long. Where your assets are being held. Yeah, exactly. Very important. Very important. Okay, great. Dave, thank you very much. And uh, we hope that this has given some color to what is a huge story and definitely our angle on this. And uh, we look forward to bringing you more podcasts soon. And uh, we're also going to be holding our first ever definitely uh, uncertain live event in in December which will be dedicated to the topic of impact investments. That's an invitation event. But if you are interested, you can certainly reach out to us at podcasts at goldrockcap.com. Thanks, everybody, for watching. And thank thank you you very much, Dave. Great. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.